you. Today, uh, my brothers and sisters, on my final Sunday here, I want to share with you from the passage of Scripture that I shared with you on the first Sunday of our gathering, way back January 31st, 2016, as we gathered in the gymnasium of Ingerhart Elementary. I shared from you from what is called our seed verse. It's the verse where the name One Church comes from. It's the verse for which we gathered our values, which kept us shape our identity. And you can find it in the gospel according to John chapter 17, two brief verses I'd like to share for you here. And of course, it'll be available for you on the screen. Listen to what Jesus says in this prayer. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Amen. Amen. Hold fast to dreams, for if dreams die, life is a broken-winged bird that cannot fly. Hold fast to dreams, for when dreams go, life is a barren field frozen with snow. Those words are from the great Harlem Renaissance poet Langston Hughes, who captures the essence of what I hope to share with you today, that we ought to hold fast to the dreams that we prayed, we cried, many of us fought for when God birthed inside of our spirit, that we needed to put together, bring together a group of people to form a church for all people. And I want you to be clear in this, that although I am departing from this place, I have not departed from the dream that is one church. The way I look at it in a real sense is that my departure is nothing more than the fact that God has said, son, you've played your part. Now move out of the way so I can do my work. And so I'm trying to be obedient to God. But in my departure, whether it's me here or me not being here or whatever, takes place or anybody else, the thing that needs to be clear, one church, is that you've got to hold fast to the dream. Don't let it give up. Don't let it go because it cannot die and it shall not go. For a number of reasons, one church, it cannot die and it shall not go because and for the sake of this community. The old folk used to say, listen, if you close the doors of your church, you know if your church is really making a difference if the community will miss it. Well, I'd like to say that if in any time soon, the doors of 1212 South 4th Street were to close its doors, it would be a drastic, a drastic hit and blow to this community because we spent some time grinding out on these streets, hitting these blocks, trying to spread the love of Jesus Christ, hoping that we could be a difference maker in this world. If you close the doors, if you don't hold fast to the dream, if you let it go, then we will let go the work, the miracle working power that the Lord has been doing for us in this community. Hold fast to the dream. Don't let it go. Not only for the community, but let's just say for our neighbor. Hold fast to the dream. Don't let it go for our neighbor. The neighbor, perhaps, who has yet to walk through the doors of this building, but they've been hearing and seeing the change inside of your life. They've been seeing how you have been affected and how you've been changed and how you've been impacted because they see that there's something happening in your life and at some point in time, they're going to want a little bit of what you've got because you've been 
been holding fast and refusing to let it go in the belief in their hearts with the color of their skin, with the people that they love, when none of those things matter more than what the Lord is doing in the life of the people. You've got to hold fast to the dream and you cannot let it go. Not only for the community, not only for you, your, uh, your neighbor, but also for you yourself. Some of you got to hold fast and can't let it go because for you, when you showed up, you were sick of it anyway. Some of you walked through the doors tired of church, tired of the politics of church, tired of the rigmarole, the institution that seemed to care more about building buildings and structures, brick and mortar, than it cared about building people's lives. Some of you are about done. You were about tapped out. You were sick of people. You were sick of church people. You were like perhaps Mohandas Gandhi who says, I like your Jesus, but I do not like his Christians because his Christians are nothing like your Jesus. Some of you had given up. You're about just about tapped out. You was tired. You was wondering if you had anything else left to do. You cannot let this dream die, nor let it go, because there are things, there are people, there's a community, there's your own spirit that needs you to hold fast. Hold fast. Hold fast, because this is the year 2020. And if you did not know, this is an election season. And you've got to hold fast and not let it go because there's a Lion King on the Pride Rock called 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. And there's got to be a church that's awoke, that woke up to be able to speak truth to power. you got to hold fast and not let it go because there's crooked politicians who are vying for your votes and for power. But they don't care about the marginalized. They don't care about the people on 4th and Oak. They simply want power that the Lion King got. They don't really care about people. There's got to be a church that's not afraid to open the doors and say the Lord said that we should love all people the Lord said that we ought to take care of the poor the Lord said we got to look out for the widows there's got to be a church who is unafraid and unashamed to stand up and one church you cannot let it die because the Lord has called you to do what most are scared to when many churches care more about putting butts in seats one church says we care about putting Christ in hearts Hold fast to the dream and refuse to let it go. And if you remember, that's the reason why we gathered. We can approach our story from a number of different angles. We can talk about the days when two churches gathered doing outreaches together in the parks and in the community. When the people started seeing that there's some similarities, not necessarily in skin color or culture, but in mission and values. And we said, people said, we, we ought to do this thing permanently. Or, or we can talk about the many conversations where Matt and I sat across the table and at coffee shops all across this city praying, discussing, and talking about what we feel like the Lord is wanting to do through this new church over loads and loads and pots and pounds of coffee. Just, just a whole lot of coffee. Praise God from whom all blessings flow out of coffee cups. Amen. But I, I, I like to talk and zero in on a different thing. I like to focus on the angle of what I believe that God called us to. 
And our passage is drawn from a prayer that Jesus has uttered, and it, it has three parts. The first part, uh, Jesus prays for himself. The second part, he prays specifically for his disciples. And then the third part, he prays for those who have been impacted by the message of his disciples. That, that's us. We are the byproduct of the ministry of the disciples of Jesus Christ. Without them, there is no us. And so Jesus prays specifically for us. But for a moment, before I get to the prayer about us, I, I want to focus on, I just, man, just caught this about 1 a.m. I had to sit on it for a second. Uh, the, the, the prayer that Jesus prays specifically for himself, of this prayer, it's the shortest part of the prayer, but perhaps one of the most powerful. When Jesus is praying for himself, you see something really beautiful. You see the intimate interrelationship between God the Father and God the Son and the conversation. And what you'll discover is simply about Jesus. He he prays that everything that he does, basically three things, is done for the glory of God, under the sovereignty of God, and by the power of God. Let me say that one more time. Everything that Jesus has done is done for the glory of God, under the sovereignty of God, and by the power of God. Listen to his prayer in John 17, verses 1 through 4. He says, after this, Jesus said, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those who have given him. You have given him. Now this eternal life that they know, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had before the world began. I love that Jesus prays, glorify your son, that your son may glorify you. He does it for the glory of God. I want you to notice right here, the first thing is that Jesus is not asking that the Lord make him great. He's not asking for the Lord to make him big, to glorify him and that man, not to make him shine. What Jesus is asking, not that you blow me up, but simply that, God, you would give me the ability, the character, and the strength to do for you what I cannot do without you. Well, one more time. Jesus is praying, God need not for you to blow me up. That would be our prayer. God, blow me up. Enlarge my territory. Give me more. Make me shine. Make me glow. No, Jesus isn't praying to be blown up. He's saying, listen, God, give me the ability, the character, and the strength to do for you what I cannot do without you. I love that right there. Glorify me, Father, so that I may glorify you. And what I love about this, Jesus teaches us about glory in a different manner. Glory for us normally means that there's going to be some type of appreciation and celebration in our story. But one thing that Jesus teaches us about glory is that it's not always attributed to appreciation and celebration. Sometimes your glory may lead to your cross. <laughs> Jesus said, glorify me, give me the ability, the character, and the strength to handle the cross that you've got before me. And what you need to know brothers and sisters is sometimes you're suffering rather than praying for an outward uh, or for an out of it what God is trying to get out of you in that season is so that you'll have the strength to endure the cross that he's given to you that's what Jesus is praying for God glorify me give me the ability give me the character to not mess it up because I know that I can and God give me the strength to carry my cross 
So we see Jesus in his conversation, that famous conversation in the Garden of Gethsemane as he's praying. And you remember the prayer that he says to his father, God the Father. He says, Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass before me. But nevertheless, not my will, but let your will be done. The ability, the character, and the strength to do it without you. Glorify your child, Lord, that I may glorify you. The second thing, he says, I, I do it under the sovereignty of God. Jesus prays for you, granted him, Jesus there is the him in the third person, authority over all people. Now this, this should be comforting because sovereignty simply means that God reigns over all. He's the supreme ruler. But I want you to know something in this verse that Jesus says, for you granted him authority over all people. The sovereignty that Jesus is speaking about there is not the authority over all people, but it's where the authority comes from. He says, you, Father, granted him. That's the sovereignty of God, that God had the power. He is always in control. Everything is under his control. So because he's the supreme ruler, he granted his son authority over all people. It looks a little bit like this. Uh, God reigns over all, gave sovereignty or gave authority to Jesus so that he could save us all. And if you go back a couple of chapters, you see he also gave the Holy Spirit to be with us all in this life's journey. So what Jesus is praying for, it says, God, you reign over all. I love my kids so I don't want them to perish. Give me the strength so I can save all of them. And since they're going to be living this life, give them your Holy Spirit so that they can be with them wherever they go. God has the power, the authority to reign over us. Jesus Jesus has authority to guide our lives, and the Holy Spirit gives us the strength to live our lives. You ought to be grateful that the Lord is, has, has prayed this prayer, and he's assured of that, that he's going to be with us wherever we go. I, I, I love y'all because I, I can see your wheels turning. You're not quite with me yet, so let, let, let me give you something to help you out a little bit. Let, let's make this clear. Um, a few years ago, tragic story, tragic story. Um, there was, there was a bus um, coming, coming from, from, from Mexico to the United States, a charter bus. Now, this is, this is before the days uh, when, when, when the rhetoric came out that, that, that painted all people from Mexico as rapists and murderers and gang members. This is, this, is, this is when we didn't make those type of generalizations about people. This is before that. And so this bus is coming from Mexico, and, and it's got a bunch of people in it, and tr tragically, it, it, it had a terrible accident. Flipped over, and, and everybody in the bus died. Uh, terrible. Um, everybody but one person. Um, when, when, when the authorities got there, the officials got there, um, they, they pulled one person out of the bus who was still living, which was a five-year-old girl. They, they pulled this five-year-old baby out of the bus. You, you see, I'm reading in the newspaper. It talks about her dad who was there waiting uh, for his, his daughter to get home to him. And, and, and he is, he's grieved because his, his mom was on the bus, but he's also relieved because his baby girl survived. And so uh, the request and everybody's asking the little girl, how did you survive all, all of that? How did you make it when everybody else died? The little girl didn't speak English, and so 
out of out of just pure joy, the father finally speaks up and testifies for his daughter. And he says that uh, I'm so excited that my daughter made it. And they said, well, sir, how did she make it? Uh, she, he said that, well, she says that when the bus first had a moment of impact, her grandmother leaned over her. And when the impact of the blow and the bus flipping probably would have injured my daughter, she was covered by her grandmother. <laughs> so when Jesus is praying that the father who reigns over all has given authority so, so that Jesus could save us all, that the Holy Spirit could be with all, he's talking about like the little brother's girl's grandmother, while you're living this life, the Lord will cover you and he will keep you and help you to survive. Some of you all don't know the only reason that you're here today is because the Lord covered you. Some of you don't understand the only reason you still got a right state of mind is because the Lord has covered you. Some of you don't know there were days when you didn't feel like waking up, days when you didn't feel like getting out of bed, days when you were sick and tired and the Lord gave you strength. He covered you and the reason that you've got good health, the reason why you've got a fraction of your mind is because the Lord covered you. Oh man, oh man. We, we see in Jesus' prayer that, that he has, he's, he's, he's helped us because we are supposed to do things for the glory of God under the sovereignty of God. But, but lastly, we see in Jesus' prayer that um, it is also um, by the power of God, by the power of God. We see that Jesus prays this. He says, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. Man, if there is a prayer that I would love to one day pray, it's the prayer that, Lord, I have finished. In other translations, it says completed. I've done everything that you've asked me to do, Father. I, 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 man, I hope I can come close to saying that prayer one day, that, that, that I've done everything. I, I've answered every call. I've, I've done everything. I, I didn't say no. I'm, I've done it. Not only did I do it, I completed it, Lord. I finished it. You know, that's what Paul prayed. He says, I, I finished the race. I completed the task. That, that's something that I hope that we all long and strive to do wherever you are, that we Everything that the Lord has asked us to do. But here's the thing. You don't do what God called you to do without the power of God working in you. So it's impossible to pray that prayer if you're going to try to do the work of the Lord or live the life of the Lord without the power of the Lord. Now, I say that because as Christians, those of us who love Jesus, you assume that all of us in here do it with the power of God, but I, I've been in church way too long. I've been preaching way too long, and I know way too many pastors who preach Sunday after Sunday without the power of God. I know way too many Christians who live their lives without a prayer life, without a devotion life. I know way too many people who try to do it without the power of the Lord. So don't look at me like I ain't talking to you. I'm talking to every last one of you. Don't try to accomplish what the Lord has called you to do without the power of the Lord working in you. Spend some time in the Word of God. Spend some time praying with the Lord. Develop devotional life. Get the strength of the Lord because the word of the Lord is a light into your pathway and it keeps everything that you do and gives you the direction that you need. You're trying to do it without him but he's given you the power to do it with him. I, I've done it, he says, man, I've completed it because I submitted and recognized that what I do, I do for your glory. I do it under your authority and I do it with your power. Now, I haven't even gotten to my primary text yet. I know some of you are all nervous because this is my last Sunday. And I might take a little liberty here. 
Normally I apologize, but uh, I won't be here next week, so uh, I might as well go ahead and take my little time. I'm just playing. I, no, I'm just serious. Uh, no, 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 listen, listen. Check this out. Um, seriously, in order to fully grasp the gravity of what the Lord is teaching us, in verses 20 and 21, we, we've got to understand the interrelationship between God the Father and God the Son. Listen to how Jesus prays for us now in light of what Jesus just prays. He says, now my prayer, Lord, is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. I love this. Jesus praying for us here because we are the fruit of his message, the gospel preached by the apostles. We are those who believe, which is the first thing, the foundation of oneness. Say the foundation of oneness. The foundation of oneness is simply this. It is belief. The foundation of oneness is belief. It is not reconciliation. That's not the foundation of oneness. It's, it's not even community. That's not the foundation of oneness. All the things are many of the things that we look for to obtain oneness really is a byproduct of what oneness ought to be about, and that is belief. Belief is the foundation of oneness, the things that we believe, where our belief lies, that is in the message and the gospel of Jesus Christ. If there is going to be true in this world, in this church, it must and have to begin with belief in nothing else but the belief in the gospel message of Jesus Christ himself. We want to see reconciliation. We want to see unity. We want to experience community. But if you try to do unity, reconciliation, and all those things without the gospel of Jesus Christ, then we will do nothing else for the rest of our lives but spin our wheels and never make it to where God has called us to. It begins with belief and belief is simply this. If you break it down in the old English, it is by life. I know what you believe by your life. How you live your life determines what oneness and how it's going to happen comes from. Meaning this, your belief, how your dinner table looks, what your uh, cell phone, bu uh, phone book looks like, how you treat the people you work with. Understanding your belief determines if oneness is actually going to be a thing. And here's the thing. If, if you try to accomplish this without belief, baby, it's like, it's like baking a cake without eggs and flour. It'll never be a cake. It'll only be a mess. It must be belief. Belief is the source of what we are trying to do. It's like focusing on the wedding without putting any energy behind the marriage. You cannot get a marriage sustained if you focus on the wedding alone, baby. You've got to focus on living life together. You've got to focus on the things that brought you together. It cannot be that alone because when belief is truly in the message of Jesus Christ, it impacts how you live. The key to your unity, one church, is in belief and the reconciliation that you desire to achieve comes through your belief, but belief must be the starting point. It's the foundation of oneness, but also the framework of oneness is this. Listen to what he says, that all of them may believe, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us. We see this, man, in the relationship between Jesus, God, and the Holy Spirit, that they, they work together as, as this relationship where they understand one another on a different level. This is, this is what Jesus prayed for earlier. 
He prayed earlier that, that we would understand it, that we would grasp the framework that while we gather, while we gather, we ought to gather for the glory of God. Praying, God, give us the ability to do with you what we cannot do without you. The ability, the character, and strength. But also, God, help us to do this not just for your glory, but also under your sovereignty. God, we cannot so reign over us. Jesus, take authority over us and Holy Spirit be in us. Now, I don't know about you, man, but I've been needing that for the last four years. I've been needing the Holy Spirit to be within me because I y'all some of y'all know me quite well. I got I got I got I got attitude. And I, I get angry. And, and the only reason why I, I I'm not even gonna say that I've I, I've restrained myself. I'm gonna say the only reason why I haven't clocked out on many occasions is because the Holy Spirit has been present. Uh, that, that, that's the Holy Spirit being, being in me, being in us. The only reason why there were, there were blow-ups in the early days. And I remember getting phone calls and emails and, and, and everything that people would say or, or told us don't do it. The people who spoke against it, the people who said that it would never work. The only reason why we're standing here, sitting here today, check this out, in a building that, that we barely got enough money to make it with, in a, in a building that took every dime out of our account to be here. The only reason why we're still here today is because we've done it by the glory of God, under the sovereignty of God, and with the power of God. The only reason. That's the framework of oneness, framework of oneness. But also notice, notice this, that Jesus does not pray that we may be in each other the way that he, the Father, and the Spirit are. He prays that we may be in him and that we may be in the Father. He doesn't pray for this. Jesus prays for this. He says, if there's going to be oneness, the framework is Rather than focusing on how this can get better, focus on how this can get better. I pray that they may be in us the way that I am in you and you are in me. Father, I pray that they look at the framework that we've created. Father, I pray that we've modeled enough for them to see that the only way that this is going to work is if this is working well, my brothers and sisters, if this ain't working well, this ain't going to happen. If this ain't working well, we might as well close these doors. It's all about the way that this is working. This has to be right because your vertical relationship determines how powerful and strong your horizontal relationships are. That's old school. Get up, man. It's about this. It's not about this. If I don't have this right, I can't love you. If I don't have this right, you can't understand my struggles as a black man. You can't understand how I suffer from racist complications. You can't understand how I grew up in an impoverished community. You can't understand how redlined and undereducated me and took food out of my family's pockets. If you don't have this together, you can't see how the world is turning its back on my people. If this ain't together, you can't see my struggle, and this will never work. It's about this. And if we get this together, man, listen, I know I love some of the things that we've done. I, I love some of the things that we've done, but, but I feel like, and, and I'm not out of line because Matt and I talked about this. We spent so much time focusing on this. Matt said this, I think of this next season, we got to focus on discipleship rather than fellowship. Because we've been trying to accomplish this 
Through fellowship rather than discipleship. Well, discipleship, my brothers and sisters, disciplining ourselves under the power of God, under the presence of God, under the strength of God, for the glory of God, under the sovereignty of God, it will help us to make this is together because our emphasis, our focus is on that right there. It's about the framework, this model. I think about this, man, in the early days of my marriage. I got married, we got married at a young age. None of our friends were married when we got married, right? Not not one of them. We didn't have no married friends. Uh, I, I was a young, strapping, fine 22. <laughs> Had hair and everything back in them days. Praise God for hair. But I, I noticed something in, in the first couple of years uh, of, our, of our marriage is that I, I didn't appreciate our marriage and my wife enough because the people that I was in closest relationship with, they didn't know what it was like to have that type of relationship. And so in one of the most tumultuous times of the early part of our marriage, um, I, I found out that the people around me were toxic to my goals because I had always wanted a wife. I always wanted a family, and the Lord says he that finds a wife finds a good thing. And the Lord sent me a good thing, and, I, and, and, and I, I didn't want to blow it, so I figured that the toxicity around me has to go. And so I intentionally found some friends who were married and were carrying the values that I wanted to have because I wanted to make sure that I, I saw something that I could model after so that I could love her the way that she deserves to be loved. And so I found some friends, but I also found some elders that I could talk to and I could look at the men, how they, how they modeled and how they loved their wives. I told my wife, she, she gave me a compliment, which touched my little heart a couple of weeks ago. She says, I love how you're so responsive to me. And, uh, and she says, whenever you call, whether you're in a, I call whether you're in a meeting or whatever else, you pick up the phone. And I'm like, why is he answering the phone? I said, because you are my top priority. I will always answer the phone when you call. I don't care who's calling or what I'm doing. I don't care if I'm in front of the Lion King. I don't care if I'm in front of Obama. It don't matter who I'm in front of, if baby calls, I'm picking up the phone. But here's, here's where I learned it from. Here's where I learned it from. I, I, I spoke to an old pastor in those days. He says, man, you, you're, you're newly married, man. He says, how things are going? I said, man, I, I wish they were going a little bit better. He says, I says, but I, I'm trying to work. He says, well, here's, here's one key point for you. Here's, here's how you let your wife know that she's important to you. He says, whenever baby calls, you answer the call. Pick up the phone. No matter what you're doing, no matter where you are, make sure that she knows that you will put the world down for her. And so she complimented me, and I had to let her in on a secret. I didn't learn it by myself. There was a framework that was created. <laughs> There was something that was taught to me that was modeled before me. And if there's any credit that I give, I give it to Reverend Jim Miller who told me that when baby calls, you answer baby's call and that will make things a lot better. Listen, that is the framework for how to love well. What Jesus and God have done for us has created a framework that they respect one another where they are, that God is the Father. God's not trying to be the Son and the Savior. He created a Son and a Savior. 
God ain't trying to be the Holy Spirit because he gave us the Holy Spirit to work with us. And so they all work together as the Godhead and we can depend on each and every one of them for all things. But we also could depend on them for singular things. And that is, I look to God as my creator. I look to the Son as my Savior. And I look for the Spirit as my comforter. And they work together because there's a framework that has been created for us. I'm preaching today. I don't know. Feeling me today. Listen, listen, listen. Hold on. We got a framework, but we also have the fruit of oneness, the fruit of oneness. Listen to what he says. He says, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I love this. Listen, the model that God the Father and Jesus the Son empowers us as believers then to begin a model for the rest of the world. Once more, it's about looking at something that's bigger than us. Here's the thing, one church, man, as we move forward, because I'm always going to say we because we are always family, whether I'm present or not, as we move forward and we want to see the world change, listen, the world will not change if they don't have a model before them. God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit became a model for us so that we could become a model for the rest of the world. And if we want to see our communities change, and if we want to see true reconciliation, if we want to see people loved who are seemingly lovable, if we want to see people come out from the margins of society, they've got to see something to look forward to. And we've got to be the change that the world is looking for. That was our conversation, right? George reminded me of it two weeks ago. He said, we sat down at the tables and we said, not that we're going to change Louisville, not that we're going to change old Louisville, not that we're going to change Kentucky. We said, we want to be a light that changes the world. Well, do you still believe that we can change the world? Do you still believe that we can make a difference in our world? Do you still believe that we can make a difference in the lives of people? Well, my brothers and sisters, the reality is, yes, we can. We can do it if we remember the framework that was given to us. And if we follow that model and that framework and we display it to the rest of the world. Because I ain't got to go to the world. Let's talk about your kids. Let's talk about the ones, man, who's given up on church, who feel like there's no place for them. Let's talk about your family members who feel like they've been left out from the world because they love people who are just like the world and the church says that you can't have no place in here. Well, you let them know, I know what Jesus who came and who gave up his life for you. Let's talk about the world, the people, man, who are on the margins of society who do not believe that black and white people can worship together. Let's talk about the fact that this thing can happen if we follow the model and the framework that has been given to us by God the the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And there will be fruit of oneness that will make us a change agent empowering the world to do what they said that they cannot do or we cannot do. I've been been rereading that. the wonderful book uh, that we, we read together, it's called uh, Parting the Waters. And, and, and it's, 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 a, it's a biography in a sense of, of Dr. King, but it's, it's kind of like the world that's all, all around um, Dr. King at the time. I mean, it, it hits so many characters. This one particularly goes from 1954 to 1963, and it's a, been a, a powerful, powerful book and tale about so much that was happening in that timepiece, and it inspired so much. And I was listening to it on audiobook the other day, and, and, and I asked myself this question. How can... I experienced, I was talking for me, how can I experience the fruit in my life that these figures who 
changed our world experience in such a short period of time. Dr. King's ministry was 12 years. 12 years. Now, it, was, it wasn't a long time. 12, 12, 12 years. God, how can, how can I, in whatever length of time that I have, I, I, I don't have to be at his status, but how can I impact my community with the time that you've given me? Did I maximize what's in front of me the way that Dr. King did with the limited amount of time that he did? And, and here's what I saw as I was listening. There was, there was, there was many people who, who advised Dr. King for many of the things that he wanted to do. They were saying, Dr. King, you cannot. Uh, because if you do, um, then you'll, you'll go to jail. Um, or... Or you may miss opportunities at speaking get money. Or got your, your, your prominence may be lower if, if you hang out with the students. Or a bunch of excuses. And, and Dr. King said this. He says, listen, if, if I and if we are not willing to lay our lives on the line, then what are we doing this for in the first place? And it hit me like a ton of bricks. I read it before. But something, I don't know, maybe it's 40, I don't know what it is, but something spoke to me and it, 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 it had me think that, that if, if, if I'm not willing to do this in a manner where I'm not willing to put my life on to see change in the world, then, then I might as well just work for Coke for the rest of my life. Then I, I might as well not even try anymore because if I'm not willing to make the ultimate sacrifice to see change happen, then why am I playing with God and playing with ministry? What does it even matter? If I don't put my life on the line, then why did I have children? If I'm not willing to put my life on the line, if I want to see the world turn out better for them, if I didn't put my life on the line, why have I sacrificed money and, and a lot of things, Lord, that, that could have come my way so that I could be here? Play. Why even try? Why even try? But I don't know about you, one church. I'm so thankful that we've never had to have these conversations here. But I just feel like in this next season, that if there's truly going to be some what we've been working towards, one of the things we can learn a little bit from, one of the things that we can need a little bit help from is learning what does it look like you truly say in your daily walk, not my will, Lord, but your will be done. We've got to move out of convenience. We've got to move out of comfortability. And we've got to know what struggle and suffering and hard times look like if we really want to see change happen in this world until then. And only then will there come a time where we will truly be able to see the fruit of oneness if we are not Sacrifice it all for the glory of God under the sovereignty and by the power of God. If we are not willing to leave on the line, if we're not willing to put what makes us makes us satisfied in our own little box, 
boxes on the line. If we're not willing to do that, then for the glory of God, under the sovereignty of God, and by the power of God, if that is not our model and our framework, then we will never see change happen. But I know you well enough because I've spent too many times at your dinner tables and sitting at coffee with you. I've been at you with too many situations to know that that's not what you want. I know that you want to see change in this world. I know that you want to see old Louisville change. And I know that there are people on the your heart breaks for. I know the ministry that you do, ministry to the marginalized. I see what you're doing out in the world. And I know that that is not your time. You want to see the world change, and the world will change to sacrifice it. When we're ready to go to the ends of the earth for the glory of God. For the glory of God. Under the sovereignty of God. By the power of God. Because here's where Dr. King told me as well. So I was reading that everything that he did, he didn't do it on his own. He did it empowered by the Spirit. And I pray, man, that in the coming weeks, months, and years, as I'm communicating with you and I'm seeing what's happened, that in just a couple of short years being here, the the conversations from some of the landowners and business owners, they said, listen, since you guys have been here, there's been a change. I, I pray that that spreads more. I, I, I pray that, that when, when people say, oh, Louisville, they'll say, oh, that's, that's where one church is. Because Jesus says, He'll know you by your fruit. And it's in my deepest belief that eyes have not seen, ears have not heard, and neither has it entered into the hearts of men the things that God wants to do through this ministry. So hold fast to the dreams. Don't let it go. Hold on with everything that you have. Don't give up. Please don't give up. Amen. Come on, stand to your feet.